Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this uh, morning, and this is an exciting time because we're, uh, we're kicking off a campaign uh, called For Such a Time as This, a fundraising campaign, and we do this every three, uh, every three years. This is our fourth one. We've done uh, three in a row, and uh, that's really exciting, and you'll hear more about that in, a little bit later on. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll ask the Lord to speak to us and to guide us in this uh, campaign that's coming up and through the message. And I think uh, this, is, this is a family talk time, you know. It's a, it's a vision weekend kind of thing, and uh, it's time to focus on what the Lord is saying to us in terms of what he wants us to do. So it's not, this isn't about learning as much as it is about where is he taking us? What does he want us to do? That's what we're talking about this morning. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the way you have blessed us, the way you've guided and directed us. When we look at over the past 18 years uh, or so and have seen your hand, your divine imprint on this hand, as we were singing that you deserve, you deserve, and the flashes of those pictures just captured moments of memories that uh, really tugged at our hearts and we realize how far you have brought us. It's remarkable and we give you all the praise, we do give you all the honor and all the glory. That's where it's meant to go. And uh, so this morning, Lord, we just ask that as we focus on on uh, what you have for us today and for these next three weeks as you uh, try to capture our hearts and attention as to what's happening around us and, and where you want us to go and what you want us to do. I'm just asking, Holy Spirit, you would, that you wouldn't just speak into our minds, but that you'd really capture our hearts and, uh, uh, for this. And we want to thank you in Jesus' name for what you're going to do. Amen. In September of 2013, just last fall, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me through the Genesis 41 story where Joseph interpreted two dreams for Pharaoh. And in the first dream, uh, out of the river came seven fat cows and grazed among the reeds. You remember that? And then seven uh, scrawny, ugly, and lean cows came up and ate the fat, seven fat cows. Then in the second dream that Pharaoh had, seven heads of, of grain, full and good, grew up on a single stalk and then seven withered heads sprouted and swallowed up the full heads. And, uh, and uh, Pharaoh asked for an interpretation of that. Joseph said, I, I can't give you the in interpretation, but God can. And so I will ask him. And God said and gave him the interpretation that the seven fat cows and the seven full and good grains referred to the same thing. Seven years of abundance that would begin. And the seven ugly lean cows and the seven withered and thin heads of grain referred to the same thing but uh, but they were interpreted as being seven years of famine that would follow the seven years of tremendous abundance and then God gave Joseph incredible wisdom as to what to do so he gave him an insight as to what was going to happen and then God said to him and this is what I want you to do about it and this is what Pharaoh should do about it and he gave him some wisdom he said set someone up to collect one-fifth or 20 percent of the abundant harvest in the next seven years and set them aside as a reserve for the following very difficult seven years of famine that are coming 
God has been speaking to us about a similar kind of thing over, the, over recent months and recent years. He's been telling us something is coming. And let me explain. Just before Jesus returned uh, to heaven, his disciples asked what the signs of the end of the age and Jesus' second return would be. And Jesus referred to these signs as the beginning of the birth pangs that would come. And they would increase in intensity and in frequency uh, uh, until, until it happened. And that would alert them that the time was near, much like a, a woman giving birth. Uh, when she goes into her birth pangs, uh, you know the time is near, and they start to get ready uh, for what is happening. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gave some of the signs. In Luke 21, we have uh, a couple of other things that he said about it. Other prophets gave some signs. There are over 13 very clear signs given in Scripture uh, as to what would happen. But let's just take a look at Matthew 24 and what it records for us there. It says, for nation, because the disciples just asked him what, uh, what would be the signs, and Jesus gave them a few of them. He said, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs or pains. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Um, that we can already see the end approaching, no believer can really doubt anymore. Uh, I'm just going to touch on three. I'm just pulling three out. And we could say much about all of them, but that's not the point of this message. And so I'm just going to do that just to capture your attention on that, to get to the point that I'm saying uh, that God is warning us. The Holy Spirit, God, through his Spirit, is speaking to us and saying, the end is near. And I've got something for you to do before that happens. So let's just talk about the, that for a moment. For example, earthquakes. The U.S. Geological Survey... Uh, indicating earthquakes over a 7.0 magnitude from 1 AD to 1,000 uh, listed 15 of them. That's one every 66 years or 24,000 days. From the year 1,000 to 1,800, 114 of them, one every seven years or 2,555 days. Then 1,800 to 1,900, one every 10 months or 300 days. 1,900 to 1980, 30, one every 37 days, then 1980 to 2000, one every 28 days, and then 26 days, and then finally 2009, tw one every 21 days. That's how birth pains or pangs work as well, isn't it? And that's precisely what Jesus was getting at. He used that metaphorically to speak of that, but said that's what's going to happen literally in the end time. And you're, gonna, you're going to see it increasing. So you should be prepared. You should know what to, uh, what's going on. March 14th, 2011, Professor Mike Sandiford, a geologist at Melbourne University, said there are few theories to explain what I just showed you from the U.S. Geological Survey. In 2004, the world experienced the deadliest tsunami in history, killing 230,000 people. Not only earthquakes, but famines. Uh, just take, and I'm not, I mean, we don't even have to go to Africa anymore. Just take what's happening on the West Coast, in the U.S., in California, some of those states. The White House's top science and technology advisor, in fact, last, uh, last month, uh, uh, President Obama in Air Force One flew into Central Valley, uh, right there between uh, L.A. and, and uh, 
uh, and uh, San Diego and that kind of stuff, where, where they've got a lot of, uh, you know, fruit and vegetables. They grow one-third of the uh, fruit and vegetables for the U.S., and he flew in there to survey the drought and uh, then to promise aid. And uh, the White House top science and, and technology advisor has called the drought the worst dry spell in 500 years. The Van Vleck Ranch, you see a picture of it there, has been feeding $1,200 worth of hay per day, whereas in a normal year the cows would feed on grass for free. That's very expensive feed. And in the state's Central Valley, where nearly 40% of all jobs are tied to agricultural production, businesses across a wide swath of the region have shuttered, casting countless workers adrift in a downturn reminiscent of the 1930s Dust Bowl. The problem is not just in California. Last month, uh, federal agricultural officials designated parts of 11 states as disaster areas. Arkansas, California, Colorado, Hawaii, Idaho, Kansas, New Mexico, Nevada, Oklahoma, Texas, and Utah. California coastal cities are working on desalination projects to turn ocean salt water into fresh water, but it's very expensive, and of course it doesn't take care of inland agricultural and town and city needs. And then there's a whole matter of persecution. Jesus had said something about the earthquakes and, and the famines. And he said persecution was going to come too. And we know that 80% of Christians live under persecution around the world. But in the West, we have been exempt from it. But that appears to be fading. The freedom uh, of religion that we've had and taken so for granted for decades is slowly eroding, or quickly eroding, I should say. There will be increasing persecution in the near future. The Spirit of God is speaking to the churches, and he says, churches, I want you to hear what the Spirit is saying. He doesn't just say it. He didn't just say it. He didn't just speak to the seven Asian churches that Chris has been talking about. He's speaking to the church today. Would you agree with that? Yeah. But the church in the West doesn't doesn't seem to be hearing it very well. There's a spiritual famine coming, and God, and we're entering already in the West, certainly we've seen it, and God is giving us a few years of great abundance, as he did with Joseph and Pharaoh and the Egyptians, so that we can minister to and prepare as many now as possible for what's coming. Would you agree with that? Here's some ways in which God is pouring out abundance upon us here at Southland. I'll speak specifically for Southland right now because that's all that I, that I can uh, speak for. Um, he has given us wisdom and insight. He gave Joseph wisdom and insight to know what to do. He has been giving us wisdom and insight as to, to know what to do. This, and this is more profound than you and I can even imagine. Think back to uh, 1988, the story that I've told before about how, um, uh, how in Woodstock we planted Faithway Church, and uh, I was leading people to Christ, and, and after some time, and you know, they, they were new believers, they were excited about Jesus and all those kind of things, but after they'd been around us for a while, they became like us, and that was actually disappointing. I mean, when they were, I remember the Bible studies where I'd go to and they'd be smoking and be, you know, be around a table and it'd be just blue. The entire, everybody'd be smoking except me. Well, I was, I was too. I was inhaling every, everything they were exhaling. And, uh, 
And, and I was sick in my stomach, but I w- my heart was filled with joy because of how excited they were about the things of the Lord. But after a while, they cleaned up their smoking act, and they wore three, three-piece pinstripe suits, and they became like us. I don't mean like you, but, you know, like a lot of Christians in the West. And I liked them better before when they were smoking. I think heaven, frankly, liked them better that way, too. Because their hearts were excited for Jesus and, and those kinds of things. And it wasn't just religious. And then I remember thinking, well, then we've got, to, uh, we've got to have some kind of revival here or something. And so I got some pastors together and, and, uh, because I'd been praying about this, walking the streets in Woodstock and praying hours. And I said, Lord, what is wrong? And I just had this thought, well, we need revival. So then uh, I talked to some pastors and we flew in this. I'd heard about the Sarah Twins. Uh, I'd never seen them, never met them, hadn't ever been to one of their meetings or anything like that. But my mother-in-law had been greatly impacted. So from a distance, we knew uh, of some fruit uh, from their ministry. So we invited them in and for 14 days they ministered and people in our church changed and transformed. Problem was that six months later, I couldn't tell like once the terrorists left, I mean, we had this big, uh, uh, on the Sunday, just testimonies, people were crying, and God had really changed them, and I just went, man, this is exciting, I must be one of the best pastors in Canada, I know how to bring revival, you just hire the terrorists, and they fly in, and then you have revival, and, uh, but six months later, when the terrorists handed them back to me, they went right back to where they were in in the first place, and then I was very distraught, and I started pacing the streets in Woodstock again and praying, and I said, God, what is the matter? I, I was so disillusioned with the whole thing, and then the Spirit began to speak to me, and he said, you can't just import renewal or revival principles. You've got to live them, Ray. I said, well, I don't even know what they are. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said, you have to make them a part of the very DNA of the church, and then when the church begins to be renewed, it can just keep being renewed. It never has to go back. And I thought, boy, that would be good. Well, the Lord had a long training period for me because I had much to learn. And a good place to start was right here at Southland. We were here attending, it, attending the church, no intention of pastoring. Uh, and there's about 150 people in the uh, corner of uh, Highway 12 and Chrysler Gate. And... Uh, and, uh, and, and I finally began, the church had, it was a perfect test case for whether you could bring true renewal or revival to a church. Uh, two church splits, in fact, they actually really split the third time again because, uh, when they voted over me, because the first time I didn't make 70%, so they voted again, I just took out a gun and that did it. <laughs> it works because I, we're in redneck country here, between here and Grunthal, then you can, you can... <laughs> You can, do, you can use that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, we made arrangements with the bank to not pay the loan principal because we couldn't pay it. So we made an arrangement just to pay the interest. And a couple of the board members had, had written out their resignation. And uh, another board member came and told me about it and said it's not fair that they're resigning because I've been on the board longer and I deserve to get off. Because <laughs> they had been through a real tough time. And so it was, uh, that was the condition of the church. If you could bring renewal to that church, you could bring renewal anywhere, amen? That was the, that was the test case. And uh, so the first, 
uh, when, when, the, when I became pastor and I was praying and Fran said, what's a plan? I said, I have no plan for, church, for this church. And I said, but I know somebody who does. And I would spend hours and hours in prayer just asking the Lord to teach me and to guide me and show me, show me how to do it and what should be done. And the first thing that he began to teach me was you've got to get corporate prayer going. And you know the whole story about I won't go into that and how, how difficult it was to get prayer, uh, corporate prayer going. But uh, we finally did. And uh, we started with 15 people, and now we get 11 to 1,200 to our monthly prayer summits. And over a span of 16 years, he showed me and, and us as a church eight renewal practices. And here they are up on the, on the screen. And this is profound wisdom that he gave us. It's all found in the scriptures here. But, I mean, you had to ferret it out and figure it out, right? And the Holy Spirit did that for us. Is that amazing? And he gave us, is that amazing? Yeah, it is amazing. Uh, learn about God and know God. They're all verbs, by the way, they're because they're practices. Submit to Jesus as only Savior and functional Lord. Pray to God and hear from God. Grow our character and our spiritual gifts. Confess our sins and receive inner healing. Make disciples and expand mission through the church. Prepare for eternity and end times and minister to our families and to others. These principles or practices are not new. They're ancient. I didn't come up with, uh, I mean, yes, I, I phrased them like that, but even there the Holy Spirit was helping and guiding and directing and helping us figure it out and understand it. But they're ancient truths. There's nothing new under the sun. Isn't it true? Yeah, it's true. Look what Jeremiah 6 says. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the, help me church, ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. For the past 18 years, the Holy Spirit has helped us recover ancient renewal practices which were lost or discarded by many churches in the West. Now, I don't mean Western Canada, but you know what I mean. And what a difference it's made for Southland. We have unity, no division in 18 years. Can you believe that? We, have we, we see tons of transformed lives, tons of testimonies. You're going to hear a great testimony uh, in a little while again. And uh, many of our Sundays, we just put them on. We've got so many to choose from because ju they just keep happening. Evangelism, that attract, it, it attracts many people to become Christ followers. When people are transformed and changed, others are watching on the outside and saying, I think I want what they want. They, don't, they just don't want churchianity. They don't want religion. They want, they want to change. They want a relationship with God. Isn't that true, church? And when they see it in people, that's what they're looking for. Our giving. We seldom talk about giving other than, you know, at Christmas and say, hey, go and pray and ask Jesus what he wants you to give for the big Christmas offering. In the last couple of years, it's been well over $800,000 that goes, you know, to our, our, to our missions on top of our missions giving. And we just give that all away yet too to the missions projects we have. And, uh, and, and, and then every three years we, we do this and we're on our hopefully our last one here, and volunteers. We never beg for volunteers. You notice that? We never have uh, job fairs or <laughs> volunteer fairs. We used to do those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with it, but we don't have to do it anymore because when people's hearts are changed and transformed and renewed, they want to serve Jesus. They want to give. Isn't it true, church? 
I tell pastors that all the time in church renewal. I say when they're asking me, well, how do you run a campaign, a fundraising campaign? I said, uh, our, here's our last two, including now. I said, this is how we do it. No banquets. We spend no money. We just tell a testimony, preach about it, and, uh, and that's it. And then, we hold a, and then we hold an offering. That's it. They said, what do you mean? I mean, you've got you to have meetings. You've got to do No, we don't do any of that. Because that's what happens when God changes my heart and yours. Isn't it true? Oh, yeah, it's true. And, uh, but what's amazing about these practices is that they are succinct and clear. I had the Bible all along, but I needed to ferret out the key renewal principles and practices. And that's what the Holy Spirit did for us. We were singing, you deserve, you deserve, right? He deserves the praise for that. And by doing that, the Spirit made it possible for us to be methodical and intentional in implementing them. We know precisely, clearly, succinctly what we're to do. Many churches speak about a visitation from God. They pray for a visitation from God. They want a visitation from God. I understand what they're asking for. But God doesn't want to visit us. He wants to stay with us. Amen? People ask for a visitation from God, and God says, I want a habitation with you. I want to stay with you. Visitation is what we had in Woodstock. Habitation is what we're starting to experience here at Southland. Amen? Because we're implementing the church renewal principles and practices. And when we clearly understand the conditions for the Spirit's presence, His power and activity in our personal and church lives, then we can respond. So these eight renewal practices in a succinct form also, also allowed us to form tools and strategies like encounter and empower and, and uh, hearing God and so on and so forth and, and prayer summits and so forth and theological papers and strategies that would activate these principles and practices in our lives. And these concise statements together with their accompanying tools and strategies then allow us to easily bring renewal to other pastors to quickly reproduce in their own churches too. That's the beauty of this. That's why God is so brilliant. It's amazing when you hear him and you follow him. It's amazing. For example, we... Uh, uh, we launched uh, Church Renewal for the Canadian Church one and a third years ago, just over a year ago. I started mentoring two pastors every week online, uh, in, one in Chilliwack and one in uh, Kelowna. You know that. Uh, churches of about a thousand. Today, I'm mentoring 14 pastors every week in uh, Chilliwack, Kelowna, Kamloops, Edmonton, Hamilton, Kitchener, Pine, Pine Ridge, just outside of Winnipeg, Grunthal. Can you believe that? God wants to visit Grunthal. Can you believe that? I love teasing the Grunthal, uh, Grunthal people because there's so many of them here and we just love them to death. And they're just like us anyway. <laughs> We're like the Israelites, they're like the Edomites, but whatever. And no, no. Anyway, Winkler, Boisevane, Paraguay, Jer Jerry, Jerry Reimer's on, on uh, online mentoring every week in a group that I, that I mentor. It's uh, just amazing. And half of these churches are approximately 1,000 in attendance, and half of them up to about 300. And in the three church renewal weekends in this last year, 120 church leaders have come. 
And uh, the pastor of a church of a thousand in Edmonton has now brought over 20 of his people. I think it's like 24 or something like that. And, and this is what he wrote to John Bergen, Bergen and, and John forwarded it to me, and I quote, The decision to attend Church Renewal Weekend at Southland is the single most important decision our church has ever made, end of quote. That's incredible. I mean, and see, now you're going to see how this works. Last church renewal weekend, do you remember the last one? End of May, uh, it was January 26th. Why, why do you remember? Because there was a big what? Snowstorm, exactly. And, uh, and uh, the RCMP had to shut down highways and stuff. Oh, roads were closed. It was just brutal. And I went, great. A hundred people are going to come to prayer summit. 700 showed up. I couldn't believe it, and neither could those pastors. They were blown away. And one of the things that, because many people phoned in and emailed and said, we tried to get out of our driveways, we couldn't, we couldn't come in. Anyway, one of the things we prayed for at that prayer summit, do you remember what we prayed for? We prayed for Sean Van Dopp's church, Promontory Church in Chilliwack, because they were holding their first prayer summit that night. Do you want to see what happened? Okay, let's watch. Oh, is that amazing? <laughs> is that totally amazing? <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing. When you were watching that, what were you thinking? What was the first thought that hit you when you saw that? Uh, I, I've heard this so many times. It looked the same as at Southland. It looked like it could have been a Southland uh, prayer summit. And that is incredible. They had 250 show up at that prayer summit. And they're excited about it. And guess what is happening tonight? March 9th, tonight. In Grunthal. <laughs> this is a miracle, guys. <laughs> Abundant Life, pastored by Pastor Dave Newfold, is holding their first prayer summit tonight. Is that exciting? I mean, think about this. One year ago, 1,100 South, <coughs> Southland can Canadians attended a prayer summit. And one year later, when you look at the different churches, uh, pretty much every single one of those 14 now have, have conducted at least one prayer summit. They're in the stages of just starting, like tonight, or they've already held like two or three or something like that. And that doubles the amount of, of Canadians that are praying at a prayer summit. From 1,100, you just, you just went well over 2,000 that are praying. Is that incredible? And that's the point about when we understand the, the, the clear, concise statements in our, and can create tools and strategies for them, the, the encounter and stuff. Oh, John Bergen sent, sends me an email, and he says, you know, I was visiting one of the pastors that you're mentoring, in uh, Kelowna, church of about 1,200, and he said, I was sitting in his office, and he's got a big whiteboard in there, and he said, he said, you wouldn't believe what was on the whiteboard. Three things, hearing God, prayer summit, encounter God retreat, and beside each one of them was the date of the next one. That's incredible. You, you can multiply. What took us years to figure out and ferret out as the Holy Spirit was teaching us, we're you know, I'm educable, slow, took many years. Now, because we get it and we make it precise and concise, we can just hand it off, and they can do it in no time flat. 
and we can bring renewal to the Canadian church. Isn't that exciting? I think it's so exciting. And um, uh, last month we were in Toronto, Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, to conduct two informational roundtables for church renewal, and already we know of approximately 30 people that are coming, and we're nearly three months out from the May 23rd to 26th uh, church renewal weekend. I mean, nobody signs up this, uh, it indicates this early on. What's the vision? What's the vision for church renewal? It is, uh, we know that there's 11 to 12,000 evangelical churches in Canada, and the vision is that one, for 1,000 renewed churches in Canada, a renewed church within striking distance of every Canadian. And our short-term goal that we're praying for in this year is how many church renewal pastors? What is it? Exactly. Very good. You are praying, I can tell. You are praying, I can tell. Way to go. I'm proud of you. All right, not only has God blessed us with wisdom and insight and, and knowing and showing us how to form it, just like he did for Joseph, he's also uh, blessed us with an abundance of provisions. Would you agree with that? Man, a living, it's amazing what God has done. Uh, lands and buildings, and you know, there's, a, there's coming up on the screens all the different dates of the different phases of the building and the acres of land and stuff that we were able to get, and there's a four winds housing there. And we don't have time to talk about it, but you just see a quick snapshot of it. And they're up to nine people now in less than a year, uh, participants in that one-year program. And, uh, and then the 9.4 acres and so on. Do you want to know how much else he's given us? You can just move, uh, just go ahead and move on to the next one and the next one. Yeah. Now, do you want to know what else he's provided us? Like, that's about 30 acres or something. Do you want to know the next thing or no? Should I just move to another point? All right, here it comes. You asked for it. 128-acre Bird River Bible Camp. We, ha we have been praying and praying and praying for this camp. This last week, a very incredible meeting uh, with uh, the head of the BGC uh, district, uh, Lorne Meisner, and and, uh, and he had another one from the board and stuff, and on, on paper they showed us uh, we, we have full intention of trans transferring stewardship of the camp. What a tremendous phrase to use. I really like that phrase. We want to transfer stewardship of this camp over to you to continue the original vision of Bill McLeod and, and the BGC over the years and bring kids to camp and training them in how to hear God and all, those, all the renewal principles and practices that we're teaching in our children's ministry. And uh, now it's going to the lawyers to be drawn up and stuff. So there's, there's all those kinds of things being worked out. And then they have their AGM at, in October 2014, uh, th this year, the annual general meeting, and they have a final vote. But their intent, they've made it clear now in writing, we had a formal meeting with them just on Tuesday right here in our boardroom, and, uh, and that was their intent. And you know what they said? They're excited to be doing this. Only God can do that kind of stuff. What kind of people are they that they would be excited to help us do something like that? And we want to honor that denomination and those people and those leaders and those pastors and the past and what they've done, the vision, and we want to carry it forward. But I think God is amazing in what he's been doing. 
And, uh, and so God has given us so much uh, over the years. Let's talk about uh, the camp just a little bit. In 2004, the Lord told us to start a camp. And by 2006, we had found, uh, we had talked to the Bird River Bible Camp uh, director at the time, Chuck Craker, and uh, had a wonderful uh, talk with him. And he gave us two weeks with 84 campers to, uh, to start off our camping program. And, and the camp grew um, Every one of those years, for eight years, this last year we had over 600 in, in summer of uh, 2013, and over six, and in, that's in a six-week period. They gave us a full six weeks. It just, they just kept giving us more and more, and this past fall, they gave us all of the nine summer weeks for, for the summer of 2014 to con conduct camp. Isn't that incredible? That's just amazing, and we get to run the entire camp and, uh, and they asked us on, on uh, t Tuesday, will you still allow our, ch our children to come? Our, we said, are you kidding? Yes, we want them there. Uh, we would be honored to have their children come as well. And for the first, uh, so we're, for the first time, we're going to run the entire camp on our own. We've already, we already have 450 campers signed up, and we just got into March. Who wants to go camping when you see the snowdrifts like this? And, um, and the youth haven't even started. They, they start up their sign-ups uh, a couple months down the road. And, uh, and so we're hoping uh, it's going to be the biggest camp again. And uh, we're just incredibly excited about this miracle that is unfolding in front of us. What's the, what kind of vision do we have for the camp? Well, uh, the vision for the camp is that, and we've got a lot of things to pray through because there's obstacles in the way things that we're going to have to pray for, and we'll talk about it at the prayer summit. We don't need to pray about it right now or talk about it right now, but our goal is that one day, I believe a vision the Lord's putting on my heart is 1,500 to 2,000 kids on that camp, in that camp one day. Would that be incredible? There's a lot of kids we want to prepare, and we want to assist the parents in preparing and mentoring their kids for what is coming down the pike, for what's going to happen. And so the goal this year is 800 campers, up from 600 uh, or so last year. And Link Wallace uh, has, has a vision within this vision to train church renewal churches how to run their own renewal camps in different parts of the country. And, the, and church renewal uh, 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 churches that are close enough to send their kids, we just want to say, yes, please come and uh, bring them over there. And then help them start camps in different parts of the, uh, the country. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, another area that God is really helping us with abundance is in the area of, not only has he helped us in giving us wisdom and insight and understanding and knowledge as he did with Joseph, not only with provision as he did with Joseph, but with committed and dedicated and gifted individuals. And, and uh, Pharaoh even said, uh, can we find anybody more gifted than Joseph? And so he put him in charge. And God has been giving us a plethora of, of gifted, but not just gifted, committed, dedicated people here at Southland to carry on all the things he's asking us to do. And it's amazing, like hundreds and thousands of them. And uh, that's exciting. To physically and spiritually feed all those that God has given us to take care of, uh, that's what we need.
And for the camp, for example, Chris Puach and Donovan Friesen and Harv Barkman, who built the cabins and stuff, started things off. And when we needed an experienced, knowledgeable camp director, God gave us Link Wallace, a former teacher and former camp director with 17 years' experience. Like, God just puts them in our hands. Like, how can you? That's why Ray Yoder is so right when he was, uh, you know, I just couldn't believe what they were doing this morning about you deserve, you deserve in the middle of that song. That's incredible. It's not us. It's, it's him doing it. Wouldn't you agree, church? And when we needed expertise for the various things that such a big camp needs, he formed the Corps of Engineers with marketplace leaders and tradespeople like, like Dan Duick and Dan Bartell and Sheldon, Sheldon Unger and Ernie uh, Penner and Russ Claussen and Doug Lepke and Rob Funk and Matt Claussen and on and on it goes. When God called us to launch church renewal for the Canadian church, John Berrigan, founder and CEO of Willow Creek Canada for 17 years, called me unexpectedly out of the blue and said, Lorraine and I sense the Holy Spirit wants us to resign and partner with you in a new ministry that you're supposed to launch to the Canadian church. Like, and, and here's the amazing thing. This guy's got uh, connections to over a thousand churches. I had none. I'm in Steinbeck. Like, how can you be connected? <laughs> huh? When I talk to pastors out there, they don't even know where Steinbeck is. They hardly know where Manitoba is. <laughs> and then Southland? Are you kidding me? And here God gives us somebody so gifted at connecting and stuff. We've got the content, the, the wisdom and stuff that God's been showing us collectively. And and he says, we need that in the Canadian church, and he's got the connections. How, how do you do that? It's, it reminds me of how God connected us in Argentina with Alex, right? That, that total God story. And um, uh, when we uh, uh, needed a great chef to oversee all our food services for our retreats and weekend cafe and our camps, we got the wonderful Pam Kaler. And on Tuesday when we hosted the uh, Baptist General Conference leaders for camp discussions, she made a meal that rivaled 529 Wellington. <laughs> Not that I've been there, but I've heard that it is quite something. But I have been to the keg. <laughs> so it at least rivals the keg. And our IT, the IT people that God has thrown in our laps that are producing video testimonies, all our literature, are, they oversee huge servers and over 50 computers and go to meeting and website and on and on it goes. And our passionate children's and youth ministers that, <clears throat> that leaders across the country are starting to ask for uh, advice from. Over 200 adult cell leaders shepherding nearly 1,600 people, over 1,500 dedicated people serving and ministering in our ministries within and outside the church. You want to hear something else? Do you know what else God gave us? A songwriter. God gave us a songwriter. You say, well, that's not that a big deal. Yes, it is a very big deal. And we know who it is. Zach Pearson, our worship pastor. By the way, did you notice today, Ray Yoder is leading here, right? <clears throat> and he's done such a good job for all these years Ray Yoder has. And, uh, and Zach gets somebody else to lead the choir. And where was Zach? In the choir. Can you believe that? He's the head of the worship team. That's, yeah, that's the kind of hearts we have throughout this church. I'm dead serious. 
It's not about us, it's about him, isn't it? And, and that is just remarkable. A, a few years he began writing songs for our church, and last year, and so we sang a whole bunch of his songs now. You, you notice it, you always look at the bottom, the thing, always check. Does it say Zach Pearson, Southland Church? And uh, th- then you'll know. And uh, last year, Southland released its first recorded song, Head of the Church. Remember that one? Functional Lord and all of that kind of stuff. Strictly about one of our renewal practices. Incredible. Well, CHVN picked up on that and began playing it. And the radio host this last week said, and I quote, definitely the most requested song on CHVN. Is that incredible? Now, you say, to, you say to me, Ray, what's a big deal? Who cares? Like, that's a song. What does this have to do with v- the Vision Weekend and what God's doing and stuff? Everything. Everything. I care about this very much. Years ago, I was praying for this very thing, and I discussed it r- with Ray Yoder, and he tried. It was awful. <laughs> he really tried. We... Uh, uh, I said, God's got to give us some songs. And you, uh, and you know what I think about Ray Yoder. He's the best. God's given us such a gift in that man. But uh, because, because uh, what Zach is writing, it's about our renewal practices. It, it's it's re- really amazing. And that reinforces what we're trying to do. And not only that, if these songs are picked up across the country, these renewal songs will be sung in other churches. And by the way, they are starting to be sung in other churches already. And because it is produced by Southland, the DJ always adds the tagline, Southland Church. Because it's produced by the church, not by an artist. In fact, everybody... Well, I, I'm jumping ahead here. And, and so Southland Church is becoming a, could become a byword in Canada, and it needs help because nobody else knows of it. If we want to bring what? Church renewal. Do you see what the Holy Spirit's orchestrating? He is amazing. Well, are you ready for a surprise? Do you know what's happening today? We're releasing the second song. Yes. Written by Zach again. Produced, mixed, sung, played, all by Southlanders. It features Ray Yoder leading and our choir. I love that choir. You know how much I love that choir. And uh, our IT people, uh, oh, I'm, yeah. Our IT people waited to put it on the white website. Uh, They didn't put it till the service started this morning so that you wouldn't find it there until I sprung the surprise. So once you leave the service, you can go to our website and you can download it for free. Is that exciting? But if you want to send in a thousand bucks, that's great because we're in a campaign right now. Toop and Donnie, you know, uh, let's talk about that for a second. 2000, God miraculously linked Alex and I on a bus in Argentina, as you know, in 2007, a few months later, a team of seven went down there. One of them was Joe Waldner. And then we formed and launched a ministry called Toop and Donnie Africana. We ought to love one another is what that means in Swahili. And when we needed someone to lead the social development side of our ministry to Uganda, God had someone in mind, and it was Joe and Jen Waldner. 
I mean, who could, I, I mean, who could have, who could have thought? We needed something. God knew that. He called us to Uganda, and then he said, I got the right guy for you. Joe had a farming background, and as owner of a steel company, he knew how to weld, lead, invent things, and ship around the world. And with her accounting and administrative abilities, Jen could help the Ugandans on that side of the equation. So in 2011, Joe put together a five-year plan to make the farm self-sustaining, from soil preparation to seeding to harvesting and to storage, and finally storage. So in that same year, we shipped the first of six semi-trailer containers. The, last, the sixth one just, uh, just arrived there a week or so ago. And February 2014, last month, a team went again. Joe and Jen Waldner, Randy and Twyla Platt, Kevin and Maxine Unger, Willie and Leah Friesen, Dave and Lois Penner, Chris Mandel. The Platts, the Ungers, Friesens, all have professional farming backgrounds in their past, in, the, uh, in their backgrounds. In the past, Bob Brandt, with a solid farming and business background, also has gone to help in stages of setting up this farm. They harvested the first crop of corn with a combine ever, and they realized a yield of, you know what I wrote here, uh, 45 acres per bushel, but it's 45 bushels per acre. And uh, I'm a farmer as you can tell. <laughs> Four times what they've ever yielded before, and when the weeds are taken care of, because yeah, they were very high, the yield will be quite a bit more than that. And uh, here's some of the answers to prayer we've had recently. There was the dongle switch uh, that, uh, that we needed to get that uh, plate maker going, and uh, for Dave and Lois Penner, who sent that plate maker and the two printers, that comes from their company, uh, Studio One, uh, or print one studio, sorry. And um, the corn dried without the dryer. Remember, we were praying about that. It had 25% moisture content, we, and, and the, the dryer wasn't getting there because the container wasn't coming, so we prayed and prayed. God said, okay, I'll dry it on the stock because the dryer didn't show up. And then we were worried, and I remember Joe, just before he left, he said, he said we have no idea how we're gonna store, where we're going to store the corn. We have to store it somewhere. What they didn't, real, what they didn't realize till they got there was that the Ugandans had already built a big machine shed, and they used that, and it's right by, right by the field. It's a huge, you'll see it in just a moment. Joe, and, uh, Joe Walder and Randy Plett returned last Sunday to help sort out what all came on the last container and get it working and build a big grain bin. And they planted two and a half acres of kidney beans and so on. This was Joe's ninth trip. And all, uh, all these who travel do so at their own costs, in time and in money. And it costs them a ton of money to do that. And uh, here's what we've done together since 2009. You're going to see it come. You're going to see it uh, feed the tw we've, uh, we've been feeding our 660,000 that we've given to date as a church has fed the t uh, 22 orphans and children while the farm was being formed and grown, purchased books and Bibles and mosquito nets and 12 huge water storage tanks to collect clean rainwater, built 17 school classrooms, built a huge machine shed just now, and then you see a bunch of the things that are being s purchased and sent over there, and a whole list of farm things. And uh, guys like uh, Trevor Wilson, Chris Platt put in tons of hours to uh, get the combine ready and in good shape there. Big 200 po uh, horsepower diesel generator, five ton, like huge thing. A grain hopper 
and grain auger, bagger, dryer, I mean, you name it, and, and printers and plate maker and tons of paper and over 100 hospital beds, and we still have tons of, of uh, hospital beds to send over. And uh, would you like a few, see a few pictures? Okay, let's, uh, let's show a few pictures. That's the container being opened up, and they're uh, starting to, that's the team that went over this last time. And there they are combined. You see the General Joe on top. And look at that. Isn't that, one, isn't that a beautiful sight? Hey, just stop for one second. That's, that's okay. You don't see that in Uganda. You can't drive through the country and find another combine. Uh, they had a reporter come, and they said, Have, are there any combines? He said, not that we're aware of. Is that incredible? So keep going. Yeah. Looks like Manitoba, doesn't it? And there they're bagging it. There's Willie uh, freezing. And there's that big shed that I was talking about. It's just across from the field. And uh, just, I wanted you to see how big it looked inside. Look at that big combine sitting right inside there. That's their big machine shed. They just, and they can build it because we do that. That's Catherine standing on top of the, uh, uh, on top of the grain in the, in the bags. Uh, Alex and Catherine Mutala, the sprayer. Yep. And there's that plate maker and Lois uh, Penner standing there. And they put together this whole print shop. And there, uh, Dave and Lois, uh, you see them there holding that, uh, that container that had the dongle switch. Nobody knew where it was, and it was hidden in there. And the whole team is praying about it. And then, towards the end, they were, uh, at the end, they were going to have this big uh, uh, harvest celebration. The team decided to put the harvest celebration on for the children and the, and the entire staff, and they did it. So there they're dishing it out and serving them. Isn't that wonderful? It's just fantastic. And look at that. <laughs> Catherine got that made. It's a cake. I love that. Part of the team there together. Maxine there. And uh, they're handing things out. They gave them... Uh, uh, Beanie Babies, and uh, there's Danae, and the kids all want one of them. There you see them with you know, some of them. They got pop as well. They each got a pop to drink as a special kind of thing. Ryan there, and Danae. And now one final one, and that's how I end the slides. And really, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Doesn't that just, doesn't that just get your heart right there? Tupandani, Africana, we ought to love one another and uh, God has given us these the resources and stuff for such a time as this with the little bit of time that we have left and he wants us to do something so now what well Dave and Lois Penner owners of print one studio donated the two printers and plate maker and went there a couple of times to set it up they've set up an entire printing shop two years ago Apostle Alex Mitala asked me to write up a church leaders manual which I completed 300 pages together with uh, some help from my staff and six months later I went there and uh, trained 500 year, uh, leaders, church leaders how to use the manual and now I'm writing up more materials for the 22,000 Ugandan churches and here's the vision for uh, Tupandani to give them and train them in how to use church renewal tools and strategies to print up church re uh, leaders' manuals for all Ugandan pastors, not just 500, and then to do the same in the following East Central African countries of Kenya, South Sudan, Rwanda, Burundi, East Congo, and Tanzania. 
you know, when Fran and I took off from uh, last year, we were in Paraguay with Jerry Reimer. He's, uh, and I told you about him. Jerry and Delia, you know him, you love him. He's on one of, in one of my teams, uh, church uh, uh, online mentoring teams. And we went over there to visit their church, and their church has been growing, by the way. It's very exciting. And uh, uh, as we were leaving, I said to the Lord, is there anything you want to say to us about, about uh, Paraguay or about whatever? And immediately, this, just this ball of emotion just surfaced immediately in me, and I, I just couldn't contain myself. I was sitting in the aircraft just looking out, and I talked to Fran about it, and I was so overcome with emotion. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, I've given you a heart for, the, for this country and for this region. I want you to help them. And then we were, we were flying back, and at one point, uh, Fran had her tablet out, and she had the picture uh, of our family. You know, the one where Fran and I are in the middle and the kids and the grandkids are around. We gave it, not this last Christmas, previous Christmas, <coughs> that all of you should have on your refrigerators. <coughs> Kidding. And uh, as she was looking at it, <coughs> suddenly the whole thing morphed. Uh, not physically on the computer, but in her mind and in her heart. And the two of us representing Southland Church remained in the picture, but the children and the grandchildren morphed into nations around us. And the Holy Spirit said, I've given you a heart for some nations. I'm going to give you a family of nations that I want you for a time such as this that I want you to minister to. And that's what he's calling this church. He, he doesn't give us wisdom and insight and knowledge and understanding beyond measure and provisions and gifted individuals, tons of them. You, you guys, are, it's just incredible who you guys are. And then for ourselves, he gives it for a time such as this. And there's much need. What will it take? It's going to take much fervent prayer. Would you agree? It's one of the things it's going to take. I want you to watch this for a moment. We all have times when hope seems lost, when it feels like we're walking in darkness, wanting, waiting, desperate. The silence becomes deafening. Loneliness comes in many forms. The hurt of a broken relationship, the pain of losing loved ones, or ache of broken dreams. For my sister Luda and myself, it came in the form of our mother stopped caring for us when I was 11 and Luda was three. Growing up in Ukraine, there was no one to care for us. So I took it upon myself to take care of my sister. That was life in Ukraine. Natasha is my sister, but she really became a mother in my life. She was the only mother I knew, and God gave her the strength and love during those days growing up. It was God's hand on my life and our little family. Life in Ukraine was not easy. It's a country of abundance and beauty, but it also has a long history of unrest and poverty. Yet God was faithful to us, and He had a sovereign plan for our family amidst our circumstances. I met a missionary from Canada named Cliff, fell in love and was married when I was 20 years old. Luda continued to live with us. She was part of our family. 
Cliff and I had two beautiful girls, Margarita and Abigail, and Aunt Luda was very much a part of their lives. Life was good. In time, both Cliff and I sent the Holy Spirit was calling us to move to Canada. So we prepared to move our family, with the exception of Luda, who was going to stay behind to finish her master's degree. She would then seek to get a visa to join us in Canada. On December 23, 2009, we left for Canada, and Luda stayed in Ukraine. A short time later, we learned that Luda's application for a visa was denied by the government of Canada, and our family felt ripped apart. I was 22 years old at the time and felt very alone. There was no peace in my life. I longed for my family and felt felt trapped like a prisoner. I was emotionally numb and was living for a hope that seemed lost or at the very least distant. It is difficult for me to think about and remember those days. The political and civil unrest in Ukraine made it very dangerous for me to live there. Yet God was giving me protection and strength. Our daughters desperately miss their Aunt Luda, and the hope for our family re reuniting seemed to fade more each day. This had not been the plan. We could feel the spiritual forces working hard to keep Luda separated from our family, and they were not going to let go without a fight. We knew there was a battle being fought, yet through this God wanted to show Himself to us and teach our family something very important. It is in the silence that God is heard the loudest. It is in the wanting that He is near. It is in the waiting that He calls His faithful to rise. Well, the story continues. In January of 2010, we had started the after-service prayer ministry, and that same month, Cliff and Natasha moved to Canada and came to Southland. Shortly after, they went to after-service prayer, bringing along their daughters Margarita and Abigail with them. After that, the two girls came on their own to receive prayer for their auntie, but the, but the girls wanted much prayer, so they came to after-service prayer after all four services. We were in the, in the old uh, auditorium. And then they figured out that by splitting up when they came into the prayer room, they got two intercessors instead of one, <laughs> thus doubling their prayers. This actually happened. Cliff and Natasha were concerned how the girls would respond to the fact that their prayers still weren't being answered, the girls' prayers. But the girls were undaunted in the resolve and in the power of prayer, and God continued to give each family member many confirmations in prayer that they would be reunited. The answer to prayer took a long time, three and a half years. And during a visit to the Ukraine in June of two, uh, 2013, last year, the family unexpectedly received the news that the Canadian government had granted Luda not only a work visa, but an immigrant visa. And what sovereign timing as it allowed Cliff and Natasha to help Luda through the difficult process of getting everything in order to move back to Canada. And so Luda was even able to join them on their return flight to Canada. And on her very first Sunday in Canada and at Southland, Luda was standing next to her sister Natasha singing in our choir. Is that incredible? 
Would you be interested in meeting the two girls? <laughs> girls, why don't you come out? Margarita, Abigail. And look who they're bringing with them, Luda. What an incredible story. Wow. This is exciting. Yeah. So exciting. Well, this is Margarita. She's 11. And uh, this is Abigail. She's 9. And uh, I'd like to know what else they're praying for, wouldn't you? <laughs> Are there, do you have any prayer requests you'd like them to take care of? I think you're going to get a lot of people asking you. So what are you praying for now, Margarita? Well, our mom is pregnant, and we're praying for her, our new sibling. A new sibling. Wow, that's fantastic. That's, that's wonderful. And how about you, Abigail? Do you have anything you're praying for? Um, I'm praying for my mom. Oh, the same thing, yes. And she can't be with us today because she's very, very sick. And so um, we're so glad that you've come and for the example that you've been. And um, do you guys ever go to the prayer, uh, after service prayer now? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Were you there today? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did you split up? Yes. <laughs> that's incredible. So you get lots of prayers that way, don't you? Oh, that's wonderful. Luda, it is so good to have you here. We're so glad that you're here. And first Sunday, right in the choir. Can you believe it? Now you'll be looking for her in the choir, right? Sitting, and she's, she was always standing beside Natasha. Not today, but otherwise she's always there. And uh, that's so exciting. But you know, uh, these kinds of things don't just happen by accident. It takes a church that believes in prayer practices and lives and teaches and trains. It takes a children's ministry that trains the children in that. But you know what else it takes? You know what it takes. It takes a family, doesn't it? It takes parents who believe deeply in this thing of prayer and model it and train it and teach it and uh, show their children. And so I'd like to invite uh, their, their dad and uh, brother-in-law to come out and join us. Uh, Natasha would have come, that was the plan, uh, to have the whole family here, but she's so sick, and so it's good to have Cliff here as well. Let's give them a hand. God bless you. Yeah, wow. Are you nervous about this? It wasn't that bad, was it? Would, would you like to do another service like this? Sure. <laughs> How about you, Abigail? <laughs> I guess. Okay, thank you so much. You, you may leave. What a powerful story, uh, and that's a kind of prayer, that persevering uh, day in, day out kind of prayer that it's going to require uh, for us to continue moving forward. Secondly, it's going to take much committed ministry. We'll talk about that next week, but I want to end with this, and that is that it'll take much sacrificial giving. Next month, we finished the thir third three-year building fund pledges that we made. That was, that's the end of three of those, nine years of it. And we're going to kick off our fourth one here. And, and here's what it has accomplished so far. We have fixed assets of $32.5 million. We've paid off $23.8 million, uh, or 73%. Is that incredible or is that incredible? That's since 2003, 2004. 
and we're owing 8.7 million, only 27%. We're on track to pay it off in seven years, but I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to cut it down in half and, uh, and get it done by the, uh, two th- uh, by the end of 2017. Here are the reasons. It'll save us a quarter of a million dollars in interest. To take advantage of charitable status before it is lost, and we will lose it. To protect the viability of Southland in an economic meltdown, meltdown, and we know that it's just a matter of time before that's coming. And to have more monies for expanding our five missions and what God has called us to do. The Lord has revealed that the time is short and the signs point in the same direction. He's giving us time to prepare as much as possible for what will happen and then for his final return. Now is the time to pray. Now is the time to minister. And now is the time to give. Pray that God would give you, or have you, uh, about what he would have you pledge. That's what I want. We're not going to give you any cards or anything at this time. We want you to go home this week in your cells, at home, in your families, as couples. Begin to pray. God, what do you want me to pledge for the next three years? And, uh, and then in two weeks, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, the 23rd, there's going to be two surprises, by the way, two big surprises. Uh, we're going to ha- take our offering and pledges at that time. And, uh, and so that is where God is taking. Is God good? Isn't it a joy to go with him on this journey? You've obeyed so far, and look at the blessings that you've experienced because of it. Now he says, I want you to step out in faith and trust me again. I want you to step up to the plate. This isn't just about you and me. It's about others. While the, while the time is still here, for such a time as this. Father, guide us in this. Speak to our hearts this week about what you want us to commit and give. In Jesus' name, amen.